If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 16. We spent uh, a long while treading our way through the Gospel of Mark, and we're finally uh, at the end uh, of the story, and uh, titled this morning's message, What a Ending That's Not an End, It's Not the End. Uh, and so in Mark chapter 16, Mark records for us what transpired on Easter morning and uh, uh, for the next several little while, uh, condensed in these 20 verses of the end of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, can't remember which one of the goofy 80s horror movies it was, but it may have been Jason Nightmare on Elm Street or something, but uh, they kill the bad guy and you think he's dead, but then as the credits roll, a hand reaches up on the screen and it tells you that, hey, it's not really the end of the story. There's lots of movies like that. I really don't like movies like that. I like, you know, nice packaged ending that satisfies all my questions and you know I kind of like the movies where things just work out and people live happily ever after and we just you know know those kind of things and there's some closure to it well the story of Jesus we the end has not been written yet a concluding uh, part of part of the story was written but then when Jesus rose from the dead, that was only the beginning of a new chapter that will ultimately end when he comes back again. And so we want to take a look at this great uh, reminder to us that the story is not over, and we all have a wonderful part to play in that story. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 1, uh, Mark 16.1 says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a uh, young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he said to you. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not 
believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, and they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. What a wonderful uh, way to end uh, the story. We want to see that there are uh, lots of things for us to take Uh, away from this as believers today, that God has uh, a part for all of us to take uh, in uh, this chapter in the end of the story. So every one of us was impacted by that first Easter morning. That as we know, and if you read all four of the Gospels, every one of them has a little bit of a different vantage point. Uh, And that does not mean that one's wrong or that two are wrong or three are wrong or all four of them are wrong. Rather, it means that they were written by four different people with four different perspectives, with four different purposes. Uh, And so they tell the same story, but they remember and they point out different aspects of the story based on their perspective. Now, remind us again that Mark's gospel, it bears in our English Bibles, Mark's name. But most uh, Bible scholars think that it was actually Peter that gave the gospel to Mark. And Mark just simply wrote it down. But it was Peter giving his recollections of what happened, which will take on some pretty good significance in just a minute. But as Mark ends the story for us, just as all the other of the four Gospels do as they recount the Easter story, these women rise up early on Sunday morning to go and to uh, pay respects, uh, to to visit Jesus' body and to anoint it. And because they remember it was the Passover, they very hurriedly uh, buried him. uh, And so... Sabbath is over, and so they go to uh, the tomb uh, where Jesus was laid. And interestingly, Mark uh, tells us, uh, because the ladies probably told them what had, what had happened on that morning, they, said, they realized, they said, how are we going to move that big stone? It's big! Remember, they had placed a large stone in front of this tomb, in front of this cave, so that nobody could come and steal the body of Jesus. 
you read the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us that there was an earthquake Sunday morning and that stone rolled away. And Jesus wasn't there anymore. And when they got to the tomb, they found these soldiers that had fainted. They saw this angel sitting on the rock saying, why are you looking for Jesus? He ain't here. He told you he, he was going to shed his blood and he was going to die, but he wasn't going to stay dead. So the women go back and they tell the disciples they don't believe him as a whole, but Peter is curious. And so Peter and John go. And they run and they get to that tomb and they find the folded, folded grave clothes. They go back and tell the others, guess what? The others don't believe them either. And so Peter tells us through Mark's gospel that Jesus shows up. And you remember, you read some of the other gospel accounts, we find Thomas there. Uh, he says, listen, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and feet, I'm not going to believe. And so as Jesus appears to the 11 disciples in the upper room where they were really cowering, they were afraid that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. And so Jesus appears in this room and he rebukes them for their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. Now, if we were to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, I think probably all of us would be in that upper room. But all, you know, the disciples did not, never, this nothing like this had ever happened before. It's understandable that they were afraid. But remember, countless times throughout his ministry, what was Jesus' message to his knuckle-headed disciples? Don't be afraid. If I'm with you, there's no reason for you to be afraid. And yet every time some circumstance came up, what did they do? They were afraid. Well, when Jesus stood before them, they couldn't not believe anymore. They had to believe. They saw it with their own eyes. And Jesus' words to Thomas were, Thomas, you've seen and so you've believed. But blessed are those that have not seen and yet still believe. Because they believe not based on sight, but they believe based on faith. And Paul's going to tell us later on in the book of Rome that it is by faith that we're saved. Faith is what produces salvation. And so the Easter story is a marvelous story. It's the center part of the Christian experience. For without Easter, 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus really hadn't raised from the dead, if he's not alive, then all of what we've said is in doubt. And all that God's promised was a lie. So he said, if that's true, then we who believe are of all people most pitiful. But Paul understood, and Paul said, hey, listen, it's not false. It is absolutely 100% true. Now, can we verify all the facts? We can't verify all the facts, but we can verify some of the facts. And the evidence is great that Jesus really did walk on the earth. And that there really was this man named Jesus that was crucified on a cross. That's in secular ancient writings. Not just Christian writings, but uh, Jewish and, and secular writings from the first century that testify to the trustworthiness of what the Gospels say happened to Jesus. And yet, there's always this wonder, there's always this room for doubt that we can't prove it. And part of the reason, church, why we can't prove it is because if we could prove it, it wouldn't be faith. It would be something that man has manufactured and that we control. And guess what? We don't control it. God does. And it is absolutely 100% true. And Easter morning, the reality of that day, changed the course of human history forever. And it's not done yet. Because Jesus said, hey, listen, in John chapter 13, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming again to get you. And there's great question about how that's all going to work out, but one thing we have to understand and accept, because it's what the Bible says, is he's coming back. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he said, Listen, you knuckleheads. You see the reality of what I told you was true, and what I told you was going to happen has happened. And so now you know 100%, absolutely, surely, that I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the one that God promised to come to be the deliverer, that I would pay for the sin debt of all the people. And they received that news joyfully. And then Jesus gave him a commission. Very similar, and yet slightly different than the one that Matthew records in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, this time had spent a long time, about a month, with the disciples. His time of departure was at hand, and so he says to them, go into all the world and fish. No, that ain't what he said. Go into all the world and do whatever you want. 
That ain't what he said either. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I don't think that Jesus meant we were supposed to have pet church, although sometimes if I told Brother George, I said, listen, let's have animal church because animals have four legs. We can count them as two people. And so our attendance will really be up that day, amen? And we decided that probably wasn't such a good idea. But listen, Jesus was saying that to every person, because it's only people that have sinned and only people that have a soul that needs to be redeemed, and Jesus died for what people? For everyone. Scripture is unequivocal that Jesus' atoning death on the cross paid for the sin debt of all mankind, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord should be saved. Not the first hundred thousand that call upon the name of the Lord. Not the whosoever that we decide should fit into the category or that we like. Don't say that. Paul said, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Jesus says, as before he goes up, he reminds us of the disciples and, and us, we have a work to do, and it's to go into the world and preach the gospel. The gospel is simply this that listen, there's a disease that every human being has, it's called sin. And its result is death. But there's a cure. And there's only one cure. And that cure is Jesus Christ. And the shedding of his innocent blood. And he shed that innocent blood for absolutely anyone who had received that gift. So that the Bible also is unequivocal that not everybody ends up in heaven. There is a very real place called heaven, but there's also a very real place called hell. And that place called hell, Jesus said, is going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where people that do not receive the offer of salvation that God gives to everyone will end up for eternity. And so Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to preach the good news that anybody can be saved. So it was a message that all of these apostles could easily take to their Jewish family and their Jewish countrymen. My friend, they were not so eager to take it beyond. But Jesus was also very clear, you don't just limit it. You take it everywhere. So to the Samaritans that the Jews considered even worse than the Gentiles, to them as well. And to the Gentiles, near and far, you preach the gospel. And so they did. Peter, Peter wraps up the story. He says, the Lord was spoken these things. He goes up to heaven. And guess what? They went and did what Jesus told them to. Imagine that. There's a novel concept, church. Do what Jesus tells you to do. The problem, though, is most of the time, 
not that we don't understand or don't know what Jesus told us to do. Our problem, by and large, is we know exactly what Jesus told us to do. We just don't want to do it. And so we don't. And so there's three important truths that I want us to see this morning as we think about the wonderful, marvelous story of Easter and how it should light our fire not just in March or April whenever Easter happens to fall that particular year, but even on October 1st when the weather's finally starting to cool down a little bit. Still going to be warm out, but it ain't going to be 90 degrees, praise the Lord. I'm tired of 90 degrees. I'll look forward to at least a week of 50s and 60s, because that's probably all we'll get that'll be right back hot again. But Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's just free information uh, for you. But three important things that I think we need to understand about the Easter story, that it, it should impact your life every day. And just as I said last, we should never, ever get over what Jesus did for us. And if you can get over it, friend, you never had it to start with. And I tell you that if Jesus has truly changed your life, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to have it all together. Peter certainly didn't. Thomas certainly didn't. These other ten, they certainly didn't. But God used him. And God gave him a commission and said, I've got some work that I want you to do. And so three important truths about the ending of the story. And that is, the first is this, that Jesus calls us to tell. Every single one of us has been commissioned to tell. What are we supposed to tell? Say, I don't have a college degree in Bible. I don't know much of the Bible. I... You know, I don't even understand most of it. Well, Jesus didn't say, hey, once you got it understood and you got your theological points all in order, then go preach the gospel. That's not what he said. He said, you get your butt out the door and you preach the gospel to everybody. So what he's saying is this, that he says, if your life has been changed by a relationship with Jesus, go tell others. Because just like Jesus saved your sorry self, he can save anybody else too. And how dare we say to anyone, you're not worthy of the gospel. Sad that in church history there have been times when various churches and various denominations have had opportunities to minister in foreign places and maybe even to people that were here in America Say, nah, we don't want to go to those people. Well, friends, can I tell you that God doesn't allow us to choose who we tell the gospel to and who is candidate for salvation? Because God has said everybody is a candidate for salvation. He didn't tell you to determine whether they deserve it or not. He said you go preach the gospel to every creature. So maybe he meant, listen, you can't find a man or a woman or a boy and girl that listen to you. Go find a dog and tell them because at least you're practicing telling the story. Most of us need a lot more practice telling the story. And listen, this is all that you need to know. That Jesus has saved you and Jesus has changed you. That's all you have to know. 
And if you know that Jesus Christ has saved you and changed you, then you have something to tell others. That great hymn, Amazing Grace, said this way, I once was lost, but now I'm found. So you don't have to wait till you have it all figured out. If God has done something for you, tell someone about it. Jesus calls us to tell. It doesn't matter. Say, well, they might not believe me. These apostles did not believe these women when they came and told them. The group as a whole, again, did not even believe John and Peter when they came back. But when Jesus showed up in the middle of that upper room, the story changed. And all of a sudden they said, well, maybe they weren't telling a fib. Maybe they hadn't got a hold of some bad Taco Bell. Maybe they were telling the truth. So understand this, church, that if Jesus Christ has changed your life, and listen, the Easter story does that. If you've gotten a hold of the Easter story and it's become a part of who you are, it has changed you and you have a story to tell. And here's the thing. People can believe or not believe the Bible and they can argue about theology all day long, but they cannot argue with you about what you have personally experienced and what God has done for you, you can't argue with that. And all Jesus has said for you to do is to go and tell what I've done for you. That's simply the gospel, preaching the gospel. Say, hey, listen, I once was lost, now I'm found because I met this man named Jesus and he received me just as I was, forgave me of my sin, and made me a new person. So Jesus simply told these, la- these ladies were told to go. The apostles were told to go. And then the collectively, the apostles, and I believe the church, Jesus issues the same call to us. Go. And it's not a, hey, go, here, go across the sea to Africa or go to some faraway place. Rather, the better idea for the English to translate what Jesus said is, as you are going, preach the gospel everywhere. In other words, you be ready, as Peter says, to give an answer for the hope that's in you. In other words, you always have a word to say for the Lord. You always be looking for opportunities to share your faith with someone or to pray for someone, or let somebody know that God loves them. Say, well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't think God loves me. And you can say, hey, let me tell you. I was just like you. And God found me. And God loved me. And God saved me. And God continues to change me. And if he can do it for me, He can do it for you, too. That's all you need to know, friends. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to be a good speaker. You don't have to, you know, be, have it all figured out or have your life perfect. Jesus just simply says, if I've changed you, go and tell somebody about it. And so that brings me to my second point. They've already really preached this this point, but I'll preach it again quickly. Uh, So not only does Jesus call us to tell, but Jesus gives us the recipe. And I want you to notice what he says. 
Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. So Jesus did not say, well, get them to church. And say, if they come to church, they'll be saved. Although, listen, I'm a preacher. I think you know. I think you ought to be in church. I think even lost people ought to be in church. I think if there were a lot more church attendance on Sunday mornings, there'd be a lot less trouble in our community and every other community uh, the rest of the week. But it's not coming to church that makes you right before God. And I tell you that people that come to church, they ought to find grace and love here. And we come because God instructs his people to gather together to worship him. And we need one another. But Jesus says, listen, this is the recipe. You go, you preach, and those that receive the message, those that believe and are baptized. And Jesus is not talking about works baptism. He's using... a a word normally in the Jewish culture and even today, we think of salvation and baptism as often the same thing. We understand that that baptism pool back there doesn't save anybody. It can't save anybody. And the water that comes out of that faucet is pearl public water. There's nothing special about it. But what that symbolizes is an outward expression of something that's taking place on the inside. Because you see, I can't see your insides. I'd be kind of grossed out if I could. Because insides are yucky. But listen, if Jesus come on the inside, our first opportunity to tell others what's taking place on the outside is us going to a baptism pool somewhere because by that act we are declaring to the world I have decided to follow Jesus and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I'm going to follow him with, as best I can with the Holy Spirit's help to guide me and so and we know because he says listen if they don't believe then they're going to spend eternity in hell. They're going to be lost. So the recipe simply is this, believe. Not clean yourself up first. And the reality is this, we all know this. If you wait to get saved until you've got things in order, you're never going to get saved. And people tell me, I'll tell you, preacher, you know, I know I need to be at church, and when things slow down, I promise I'll be, whatever, they ain't going to ever darken the door. Because we're always going to be busy. And there's always going to be things this world will put in our path to pull us away from the things of God, including church. And if we let it, it'll pull us away. So Jesus calls us to tell. He gives us the recipe. And the recipe simply is believe. And then live. Because when you believe, when Jesus Christ has really, truly become the Savior of your life, your life changes. Paul says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're brand new when you become a believer. 
that's how we straighten things up. We can't straighten up things first and then come to Jesus. We've got to come to Jesus first, and then it's not us that fixes it and straightens us up. It's Jesus that comes into our life and works on us, and he does the straightening up. So that when we're a child of God and we're doing something we know better than to do, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us says, Hey, knucklehead, quit doing that. You know better than to do that. Or guides us and and helps us to uh, know God's will and helps us to understand God's word. Jesus gives us the recipe. We tend to make it much more complicated than what it is. It's one ingredient. And one step, believe. Now, that one step has some different parts to it. There's repentance. There's acknowledging that you're a sinner and that you need repentance. As we've talked in Sunday school a lot as we're studying the book of Romans in Sunday school on Sunday morning, in order for somebody to get saved, you've got to get them lost first. Because somebody can't be saved unless they realize they're lost, that they need salvation. And so Jesus simply gives us that we need to understand that the recipe is not believe plus, 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 plus. The recipe simply is believe. Now understand that once that belief has been activated, there's some things subsequently that follow. But the start of the process is us believing that Jesus Christ died for us and receiving that free gift. And here's the good news of Easter. This is the last point. So we're to go, we're to follow the recipe, but then we have to remember that Jesus helps us as we go. Notice what Peter includes and. I think it's very, you know, when Jesus tells the the ladies, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was feeling at that point pretty low about himself. Why? Because he had just denied Jesus three times when he had just the night before proclaimed to Jesus his absolute allegiance. said, Jesus, I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. And Jesus said, Peter, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows twice, you'll have denied me three times. And guess what happened? Peter denied Jesus three times. But that wasn't the end of the story for Peter. If you read John chapter 21, you find Peter there and Jesus on a lake. And Jesus restores Peter. And Peter goes on to become a a great leader in the early church. And in fact, on the day of Pentecost, uh, preaches... (coughs) Excuse me. Preaches a tremendous message. Thousands of people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so notice how Peter and Mark end the gospel. Verse 20 says this, They went out and they preached the gospel to every creature. And guess what? The Lord was working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying sign. In other words, Jesus went right with them. And that when they ministered, there were things that happened that nobody could explain away. 
that the only explanation was that God was here working. And the reality is, if we can see something happen and we can explain it, it wasn't God that did it. But when something happens and, and there's no human explanation for it, guess what? That doesn't mean there's no explanation for it. There's one very good explanation for it. Jesus goes along with you. And what a great reminder that as we go and tell and we try to trust Jesus with opportunities and we try to be obedient to speak for him, lives are changed. Much of following Jesus does not make sense. And yet, it works. God says in the Old Testament, my ways are not man's ways. My ways are much higher. Friend, understand that as you go, as you proclaim the message, you can't save anybody. Free will Baptists can't save anybody. Presbyterians can't save anybody. Methodists can't save anybody. Nominations can't save anybody. The only hope for any human being is the man named Jesus Christ that shed his innocent blood on the cross of Calvary on Good Friday. But the thing is, that wasn't the end of the story either. That on Sunday morning, Jesus rose again. And he's alive. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father of God. And he's working in us. And he's working through us. And so what a way for Peter to end the story. If we read the book of Acts, and we read Peter's letters, we find that this was not the end of the story for Peter. And it wasn't the end of the story for the church. And in fact, for the nearly 2,000 years since Jesus went to heaven, since he died and was crucified that first Easter morning, a lot of years have passed. And guess what? God's still working. And he's still offering salvation, and the recipe is still the same. Believe. If you'll believe, God will help take care of the rest. You take that first step, and Jesus will bring you the rest of the way. We can't do it on our own. We can't save ourselves. But friends, can I tell you something? You can't be the Christian. You can't live the hope of Easter by yourself. You need Jesus working through you and with you in order to do it. Just like Peter needed Jesus. And just like the other apostles needed Jesus. And just like the church has needed Jesus since that very beginning. So that Paul understood the reality, he said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Preacher, I can't possibly tell anybody. I just, I'm shy. I just don't, you know what? Jesus said, fiddle faddle. That's crazy excuses. You can do it. If Jesus has done something for you, 
you have a story. If Jesus saved you, listen, if Jesus can save you, he can save anyone. And if Jesus can use you, he can use anyone. And praise God, he can. And he will. If we'll let him. And so, listen, we have this great message. If, if you're here today and Jesus has been real to your life and he's changed you and you know the reality of that Easter morning and that was where the power for the Christian life comes, not that Jesus shed his blood, but that he conquered death and is alive again. He defeated death and now gives eternal life to all who believe. If you know that, you know your life's been changed. And so you have a story to tell. If you're here today, you say, well, I really haven't changed. If you've not changed, you've not met Jesus. So the answer is you come meet him today and find out what that first Easter message really was all about. You come and experience for yourself the change that Jesus can make. Thankful that Jesus will take us just as we are. But he will not leave us like he finds. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, thank you for the hope and the joy of the Easter message. Lord, what a marvelous ending to the story. But Lord, it's not the end. There's a new beginning and a beginning now that we're a part of. And Lord, if there's one here today that's never trusted in you, they've never simply believed. They've never trusted in you. They've never believed that you paid their sin debt. Would you help them today to receive that free gift? Simply acknowledge their sin and believe that you shed your innocent blood on the cross of Calvary to pay their sin debt or the sin debt of all the world, that whosoever would call upon you would be saved. And then confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are the Son of God. Lord, it's simple. Sometimes it's too simple for our human minds. We think there's got to be more to it. But Lord, the recipe is still the same today as it was when you walked this earth and you gave these words. Believe. And Lord, we echo what many have said. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, help us to be your people. Help us to be obedient to the command that you have given to us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, that's the task you've given to us. Lord, you've given us a story to tell. Help us to share it. Lord, give us divine appointments. Help us to be your hands and feet in this lost and dying world. Lord, help us to never get over the joy of Easter. For we're in constant need of the gospel. We're in constant need of the hope of the resurrection message. Lord, help us, we pray. Friend, let's stand together.
Maybe you're here today, you say, you know what, preacher, I'm saved, but you know what, I've been kind of shy about it, and perhaps I'm the only one that knows. Perhaps if uh, some people I work with or people in my family found out I was at church today, they'd be very surprised by that. And I tell you that those people God's put in your life for a reason. And he's put them there so you can be a light to them. Would you tell them your story this week? If you've been changed by Jesus, celebrate that and never forget it. Never get over it. And you know that if God can change you and the joy that that brought in your life, God can do that for anyone. I don't just mean some folks. I mean anyone. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that anybody that wants to receive it can receive it. There's plenty. The the old song says, many have come, there's still room for one. And the way to come is still the same. It's surrendering to the Lord. Say, Lord, I I can't do it, but you can. And let's see what God can do through that. Let's sing this soul hymn together.